Let me ask you to take your Bible this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 15. Again, if you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 821. And if you don't have a Bible, we would love to actually give you one. We have some white Bibles on the back table there that is our gift to you if you do not have a Bible. But Matthew 15 is where we are going to be beginning this morning and looking at an incredible uh, account with Jesus and this Canaanite woman. And the sermon this morning is entitled, The Mercy of the Son of David. But Matthew chapter 15, and we're going to begin reading in verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was instantly healed. We pray once more with me. Father, we thank you for your word. Spirit, we pray that you'll open this passage to our eyes this morning. We look forward to seeing how you're going to apply this to each of us here. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Aside from needing the mercy of God for your salvation, I wonder if there was ever a time in your life, a specific time, when you can remember needing mercy from somebody. Remember when I was a kid, we would play this game, you know, one of your friends would grab your hand and and twist it as hard as they could, and not uncle, you could say uncle, I suppose, but mercy, right? they're, They're hurting you, and you just call out mercy, mercy, right? And then they were supposed to let go. But maybe something a little more serious like that has happened in your life, where you have legitimately needed mercy, where it had nothing to do with the game, and it was nothing like going on in your life, but you specifically needed mercy in a very specific time in your life, where you were under duress, and maybe it was even having to call out for God to mercy, that something was going on in your life that was so difficult and so hard to manage that you could not do anything but literally cry out to God and ask Him for mercy. And in this morning's passage, we have such a situation. We have a woman who is under such stress and over the state of her daughter that she comes to Jesus and she begs Him for the mercy that she knows that He alone can give. The setting of this passage this morning, um, as we come into uh, this part of Matthew chapter 15, is actually not in Israel. So Jesus has actually withdrawn from the area of Israel, and he has gone off into what is referred to as Tyre and Sidon, which would have been to the northwest, generally, of where Jesus generally was in the town of Capernaum and other cities in Jerusalem. So there, Jesus now is not in Israel. He is outside of Israel in Gentile territory, or non-Jew territory territory. 
But you remember from last week the interaction that Jesus had with the Pharisees and scribes. And like other places within the book of Matthew that we've already seen, sometimes when these situations get really tense and really hot, Jesus ends up withdrawing from the situation. For instance, one time the Pharisees and the scribes, they were actually seeking to kill Jesus. And it says that Jesus withdrew from the area. We're here again. Last week, he was in that interaction with the Pharisees and scribes. And now he has withdrawn. But he has not withdrawn to the area of the sea or anything like that. He's actually withdrawn to Gentile Territory, And it's interesting that he does that because the three remaining accounts within this chapter happen in Gentile territory. And what we're clearly going to see, especially within this first account with this woman with, whose daughter is possessed by a demon, is that Jesus' power is not bound to the land of Israel. Remember Jonah? Remember when Jonah left Israel, right, and he went the other way? He assumed that because he was out of Israel... That God couldn't see him, right? But God, of course, could see him because this is God's planet. This is God's earth. He can see. He has all power over all things. And it's the same with this situation. God on earth, Jesus has left Israel. And we're going to very clearly see that his power is not strictly regulated to that piece of land. His power can be manifested in any part of the world that he pleases. But notice with me the faith of this Gentile woman. Although she was not a Jew... She exemplifies that she actually is a woman of faith. Matthew refers to her as a a Canaanite, which of course was an ancient uh, enemy of Israel. Mark refers to her as a Syrophoenician. But it's clear that this woman, although she was not of Jewish origin, she knows who Jesus is. Look at her posture in verse 22 and in how she addresses Jesus. She refers to him as Lord, the son of David. So she comes to him and says, Lord, which is a much more general term. It's not specific. She's not necessarily saying, oh, Lord, you're the Lord of all things. You're the Lord of the universe. It's more of a general term coming to him and saying, Lord. But what's interesting is, as she gets beyond that word Lord is that she actually knows Jesus' lineage. She knows where he has come from. In referring to him as the son of David, she knew exactly who he was. She knew that, he would, that his ancestor was one of the great kings of Israel. And so this demonstrates for us that Jesus' fame has spread beyond the land of Israel. Again, not contained to that piece of land. His fame has now crossed its borders and is now in the surrounding areas. People are beginning to know about this man, Jesus. They're beginning to know about his miraculous deeds. And they heard that he was the son of David. And so as she sees the Christ, this woman, this Canaanite woman, as she sees the Christ... She addresses him according to all of the knowledge that she has about him. This is the son of David. But I want you to remember last week with those Pharisees and scribes that came and said, Jesus, why are your disciples not washing their hands before they have dinner? Remember that? Do you see the difference in the approach? The scribes and the Pharisees, they come to Jesus and they essentially demean Jesus. He's not having them following the tradition of, of the elders that they had for time after time. But this woman, this woman that has nothing to do with the God of Israel, she comes to Jesus and she says, Lord, son of David, right? Asking him for mercy. There is such an incredible contrast between the approach of the Pharisees and the scribes and the, and the approach of this woman. The Pharisees and the scribes come in all of their pomp to Jesus. They come imposing their own traditions. 
Yet here this Gentile woman has nothing to do with the God of Israel, a woman who was far from the covenant promises of God because she was a Gentile. Yet here she is coming to Jesus and begging him for mercy. This is such an incredible contrast, and it clearly shows the kind of person that Jesus loves to help. It shows that he wants to help those who have a broken and a contrite spirit. Her posture is respectful and honoring. But, she, but after she addresses the Christ, she presents her problem to him. Look further in verse 22. So, and behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. So her daughter is currently, at this time that she comes to Jesus, her daughter is being tormented by a demon. I mean, try to, try to, Fit yourself in here. Can you imagine the gut-wrenching feeling that must be to have a daughter who is possessed by a demon? We don't, we don't know if his, her daughter was a child, teenage years. We don't know if her daughter was an adult. All we know is that her daughter was oppressed by a demon. But again, try to put yourself in this woman's shoes. How would you feel if your child was possessed by a demon? I mean, for your, for your child to be sick, for your child not to be well, for your child to need surgery of some kind, that is tough to deal with. But a demon tormenting your child, you're completely unable to do anything about it. The text doesn't say this, but she would have likely reached out to one of the area priests in her own country, right? Trying to get any kind of help to get this demon out of a daughter probably would have tried to see some kind of priest or doctor or anything that would try to get this demon out of her but very obviously regardless if she pursued a religious priest of some sort or not she had found no help nobody could help her nobody else could extend mercy to her but here she is crying out now to the son of David Jesus for mercy and my friends it is very good that her daughter still had that demon possession. That might sound a little weird, but it is good that her daughter remained possessed until the one who could deliver her came. It's very good that nobody else could give comfort. No other area priest could do something so that we could see Jesus magnified in this situation. How often do we even, as God's children, look for answers or places in other areas, in other people, in other things, instead of looking to the one who calls you daughter and calls you son? But despite the pain that she was in, her posture is very good toward the Lord, very reverent, and her problem is that her daughter, who is severely afflicted with a demon. But notice in verse 23 how Jesus responds to her. He did not answer her a word. This woman comes to Jesus. My daughter has a demon. And he doesn't say anything to her. It really is startling. When you read through this, and you sense, and some of you mothers, I'm sure, really could identify closer with just the heartache of this woman as she's considering her demon-possessed daughter. And yet this one whom she knows is the Jewish Messiah doesn't even answer back to her. He doesn't say a word. She's literally crying out to him with the passion of a mother. And he doesn't answer her. And at this point we have to be asking ourselves, I thought Jesus loved people. 
I thought Jesus came to help people. I thought that Jesus was affectionate and loving. I thought, like in our call to worship, I thought Jesus was the guy who said, Come to me, but all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll be the guy who is going to give you rest. I thought this was the Jesus that we served. Why in the world did he not answer this woman? And as I was reading through this passage, I was just kind of, my initial readings of it, I thought that there were really only a couple of reasons as to why Jesus didn't answer this woman. First, she's a woman. And maybe in this day and age, in this culture, in this situation, he didn't want to talk to a woman. But then you look at other situations with Jesus and you realize that can't be true. He loves Mary and Martha and he loves these women. And he has many conversations with women. He's very obviously not prejudiced against women. But then the second thing I thought, well, maybe because she's not a Jew. And therefore he wants nothing to do with her as a non-Jew. But there again, that doesn't quite make sense because he's the one who's in Gentile territory and we know that he spoke with other people who were not fully Jewish, like the woman at the well. So, is Jesus a racist? Is Jesus a misogynist? What is going on with the fact that he didn't answer her? But before we get there, I want to see something else. Look at verse 23. And his disciples came and begged him, saying... Send her away, for she is crying out after us. So the scene gets even unbearable for the disciples. They want to just send her away. So she initially cries out to Jesus. Now it appears that they feel as though she's embarrassing not only Jesus, but she's embarrassing all of them. And they're asking Jesus to send her away. And again, we have to ask ourselves, is Jesus the kind of man, the kind of God-man, the one that we understand, is he the kind that would send anybody away? Have we seen him in the first 14, 15 chapters of this book? Have we seen him send anybody away from him? The disciples want nothing to do with her. And at this moment, it has to cross her mind. As Jesus doesn't answer her, and as the disciples say, send her away, it's got to cross her mind that there's nobody in this world to help me. None of my own people can help me. This Jewish Messiah, he cannot help me. The disciples, they want nothing to do with me. There's just utter hopelessness for this woman. But I want you to notice that Jesus will respond to her request. Jesus is going to talk with her. Jesus is going to address her problem. But the ridiculous suggestion of the disciples, he does not respond to. Their suggestion to send this woman away, he does not respond to them. Look at verse 24. He answered, he answered her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So this makes things a little bit more clear. The reason that Jesus doesn't initially talk to her isn't because she's a woman. And I don't think it's even really because of her nationality. What Jesus is conveying here is a matter of priority. He says he had gone to the lost sheep of Israel, indicating that his concern, first and foremost, was not to the outlying regions, not to the Gentile areas. His concern, first and foremost, was going to be to the people of Israel. So Tyre and Sidon and the people that resided there were not going to be his priority at this point. The people of Israel were his priority at this point. The people of God, the Jews. So in all of this, what Jesus is doing is he is recognizing what he has submitted himself to. He had submitted himself to the Father to go to Israel and to, to, to save his people, to go out to the lost sheep of the house 
of Israel. This is where his focus had been, and rightfully so, because that is what his father wanted him to do. But I think that there are still further questions that we need to ask. So, okay, great, Jesus, you were sent to the house of Israel. That still doesn't help this woman, right? So why can't you just reach out, do something, help this woman in any way that you can? She's asked him for mercy. In verse 25, she says, Lord, help me. But notice again her posture in verse 25. She is on her knees. Or the concept there too is that she is worshiping. Could be translated either way. She's on her knees or she is worshiping. So the indication from here on out is that the conversation is this woman on her knees before Jesus as he stands before her. The agony of this afflicted mother is so evident here. Like any of us, she is willing to go to any extremes, any length to help her daughter. If your child was possessed or extremely ill or tormented in any way, would you not beseech the Lord time after time after time in order to see if the Lord would will to heal? Feel her pain as she beseeches the Christ on behalf of her daughter. But look how the conversation continues in verse 26. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So first, he doesn't answer her. Second, he says that he came first and foremost to the people of Israel. And third, he calls her a dog. But take note that Jesus is not insulting this woman. He's drawing an analogy. I've mentioned in a previous sermon that the dogs of this day and this time were generally disgusting. They were like vermin, right? You can imagine that all the dogs that were just amassed with Bob Barker not reminding everybody to spay and neuter their dogs, right? (laughs) But there were dogs all over the place, and they were, if you don't get it, the price is right. At the end of Price is Right, Bob Barker would say, have your pet spayed or neutered. Anyway, but that's what that came from. Anyway, but without that mass spaying or neutering, there would be dogs quite literally everywhere. They would essentially be just kind of this wild little animal that's always scavenging, always in the different heaps and so forth. But in this illustration that Jesus brings up in concerning the children and the dogs, the children are referencing the Jews and the dogs are representing Gentiles. And this appears to be offensive because if I ever looked at you and said, you're a dog, well, that, you wouldn't take that too kindly. But the kind of dog and the word, the Greek word that Jesus uses here is actually a little dog. The kind of dog that would actually be a pet. This is evidenced in verse 27 where the woman mentions that the dogs in the master's house eat the crumbs from the table. Many of you know that my wife surprised me with a new puppy this past Sunday. I had to weep the puppy into the sermon. You guys knew that had to happen. But it just worked out. But she surprised me with a puppy last Sunday after, after the service for Father's Day. And right now, the dog, her name is Darcy is a little dog. And I don't think any of you would look at that little dog named Darcy and think, she's disgusting. She's a cute little girl. But in going with Jesus' analogy here, and what Jesus is portraying in the fact that he came to the Jews first and foremost, with Jesus' analogy, what he is doing is saying that it would not be right to take, to take bread to take the food from my daughter's table, from my daughter's plate, from Nora's plate, and give it to the dog and allow my child to go hungry. The priority is Nora. The priority is my child. Her stomach is to be full before the dog's stomach. 
right? This is Jesus's point. It's a matter of priority. You feed your children before you feed your pets. Your children are more valuable than your pets. But although the child is the priority of the dog, it doesn't mean that the dog is not important, right? Just because the child is of utmost importance and created in the image of God, unlike the dog, it doesn't mean that the dog is not important because she is. And so is this woman. She is important. She is vital. She may not be the focus of Jesus' ministry at this point, but it does not mean that she is not important. Continue looking in verses 26 and 27. I want you to see this woman's perseverance. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Don't miss the power in this statement. And don't underestimate the power of a crumb that has fallen from the table of the master Jesus. Hear the faith in her response here. She doesn't take offense at being referred to as a little dog. She understands that she is not the priority. And she realizes that Jesus has come to the Jews first. He is their Messiah first and foremost at this time. She does not perceive herself to be the center of Jesus' world. She doesn't present herself as deserving even of this miraculous power. She doesn't present herself with that pomp and circumstance that we see with the Pharisees and the scribe. All that she wants is a crumb of Jesus' mercy. That is all that she wants. She is so quick-witted. She immediately responds... Even dogs eat crumbs from the tables of their master. And Jesus, upon hearing this declaration of faith, and it is a declaration of faith, believing that a crumb would even heal her demon-possessed daughter, is incredible. Jesus does far more than throw her a crumb. In fact, he's going to treat this Gentile woman as though she has a seat at the table of the master. But you have to love the faith-fueled perseverance of this woman. If only she, as a Gentile dog, could have the crumbs of bread from the table of the master, she knows that all would be well. She clearly recognizes Jesus as the master of this table. She recognizes the breadcrumbs from his table are powerful, and she is begging for them. She initially asked for mercy, And she was met with silence. She then heard the disciples want to get rid of her. She still persevered. She asks for the help of the Lord only to be referred to as a child. Not a child, but a a little dog. And she refuses to quit her humble pleas, even for just a crumb of mercy. My friends, have we such perseverance when we make our requests known to God? Many of you know the feeling well that this woman must have had when it feels like God is silent. That when you pray, it's hitting the ceiling and that's it. That it's not going anywhere. It feels like God is distant when He gives absolutely no answer. There's there's no indication of what He wants you to do in a certain situation. But persevere in your prayers for you have been extended great mercy. As somebody who is a stranger to the covenant of the promises of God that has been brought into covenant with God. You have been extended great mercy. And as a child of God, you now have the opportunity and the capability to bring your request 
to God. And Jesus, the great high priest, is the intercessor there. And he makes your request known to God. And even in the times when you can't pray and you feel like you can't even utter the words because you're so in desperate need of mercy, the Spirit comes along and he utters words for you that are so deep. When God is silent, continue in persevering and praying. Hold your finger in Matthew 15, but turn over to Ephesians chapter 2, just for a moment. This woman would receive the answer to her request from Jesus. She would receive great mercy in this incredible time of need, and like her as Gentiles, as those who were not the people of God, we have been extended mercy and brought into God's people. But Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And you, you Christian... We're dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So do you have all of that? Apart from Christ, that is your situation. You are dead in your sin. You are following after the world. You are following after Satan, living in the passion of your flesh, carrying out your own sinful fleshly desires. By nature, you are a child of wrath. That is who you are apart from Jesus Christ. But continue in verse 4. But God being rich in what? Mercy. Because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of the grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. My friend, You have faith in God because of the mercy of God. You have been saved by grace through faith. We are this Gentile woman. We have no right to access God. The only reason we have access to God is because He made a way. Jesus came to this earth as a baby, right? And He lived this perfect life. On behalf of those like us who are not perfect, he came and he lived this kind of life for us. And as the perfect sacrificial lamb, Jesus went to the cross and he was nailed to it and he bled and in his blood he atoned for our sins. He bore our sins on his body and then they buried him in a grave. He came up out of that grave having victory over sin, death, and Satan. This is an incredible story and incredibly relevant to every single person within this room. And it is all because of the mercy of God. He is giving us something that we do not deserve. We deserve something incredibly terrible. And He has given us His Son. This is incredible. We are just like this Gentile woman. Totally undeserving. Yet He has given us all it in Christ. We do not deserve to sit at the table of the Master as little dogs. The only reason we are able is because of His great mercy. But the woman's persistent faith in the son of David pays off. Look at verse 28 with me. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. 
Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. He goes from not answering her at all to begin with, to praising her great faith and giving her the mercy that she begged for. This is the second time that Jesus has remarked on the greatness of somebody's faith within the book of Matthew. Do you remember back in Matthew chapter 8 when Jesus is having this correspondence with a Roman centurion? Remember, he was another Gentile. And this is what Jesus says. Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Jesus interacting with this Roman guy, this Italian guy, and he says, I have not seen such great faith in the whole of Israel. And now he's outside of Israel and he remarks of this Gentile woman's great faith. Oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. But do you realize that within the book of Matthew as a whole, there are four times where Jesus, well four times with his disciples, that he remarks of their little faith. This Roman centurion, I haven't found faith like yours in all of Israel. This Gentile woman, oh woman, great is your faith. But just a chapter before in chapter 14, oh you disciples of little faith. We're beginning to see something incredible here in the book of Matthew. God had worked almost explicitly with the Jews for a long time. But this kingdom that Jesus had brought was beginning to show flashes of Gentile inclusion. This was remarkable. There would be and is hope for the Gentile nations. So even now, the kingdom of God includes not just Jews. The kingdom of God includes people from all nations, from all tongues, from all tribes, from all nations. It's incredible now that the gospel has spread. But upon professing this greatness of this woman's faith, he tells her to go and that her daughter had been healed. What seemed like a delay became the instantaneous healing of the daughter. Some of you may be waiting on God, again, feeling the silence of God, waiting on God to heal you. Maybe you've been sick for a long time. Maybe a loved one has been sick for a long time, struggling with depression and battles and anxieties and all kinds. And you've prayed countless times for God to extend you mercy. Be encouraged by the perseverance of this woman. You and I and this Gentile woman are all grown in a far deeper way by waiting on the Lord. This story would not have the power that it has if she asked Jesus for mercy and he immediately reacted and let it happen. It's a beautiful story because not only does Jesus display his great authority in healing the possessed girl, he grows the faith of this woman in a way that she would not have not experienced had he healed the girl immediately. What would the story of Abraham be if they had Isaac when they were in their prime? What would the feeding of the 5,000 have been if just a half mile away there was a ton of of food? What would the raising of Lazarus have been if Jesus had gone a few days earlier and just healed the man and didn't have the whole situation with him dying and being put in the grave and coming out of the grave? So many stories within the Bible are so much more powerful because there's a delay. And that delay teaches trust. That delay teaches faith. Waiting on God and for His timing and for Him to work in His own timing grows your faith like nothing else can, and it displays his power in even greater ways. There's a beautiful song called Merciful to Me that I think our 
is a fitting way to end this, this sermon. But it says this. With broken heart and contrite sigh, a trembling sinner, Lord, I cry. Your pardoning grace is rich and free. O God, be merciful to me. I beat upon my troubled breast with deep and conscious guilt oppressed. Christ and his cross, my only plea. O God, be merciful to me. Far off I stand with tear-stained eyes. I dare not lift them to the skies. My deepest anguish you can see. O God, be merciful to me. No pious deeds or things I own can for a single sin atone. To Calvary alone I flee. O God, be merciful to me. And when redeemed from sin and hell, with all the ransomed saints I dwell, my raptured song will ever be, God has been merciful to me. And if you belong to him, you, like this Gentile woman, God has been merciful to you. Lord, thank you for your great mercy that you have poured out to us in Jesus. You're so undeserving. You withhold what is due to us as children of wrath. And instead you have seated us at your table and given us far more than a crumb. You have given us the bread of life. We thank you for this. We pray it all in his name. Amen.